need simple slogans. You know, Nike, just do it. Wheaties, breakfast of champions. Trump, the worst a man can get. <laughs> then. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. And I'm not even covering Trump I today. I got the feeling that something right. So don't run away. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM, people-powered radio in L.A. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle, on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. And yes, we stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. The second 2020 Democratic presidential debate kicks off on Tuesday night in Detroit, on CNN, of course, as usual, we will have special coverage of both nights of the debate, perhaps the last one to be split across two nights with so many candidates uh, as the requirements for qualification in the next debate, which I think is set for September. Yes. 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 I think it's September 12 and 13. It will be uh, higher and that could cut the field by about half or so uh, for good or ill. Uh, we're now just, by the way, six months away from the first votes being cast for the 2020 presidential election in the primaries and the caucuses at the Iowa caucuses in this case, where unless there is a change in plans by the Democrats, they still plan on adding remote voting to the traditional in-person caucuses. This will be done via phone under the current plan, as I understand it. It is likely to introduce all forms of chaos to the already chaotic Iowa caucuses, uh, which will be particularly chaotic if there are still 20 or so candidates in the race by then. But uh, chaos may be the appropriate way to kick off what I suspect is going to be a very chaotic election season in all manner of ways that we will do our very best to keep up with here on the broadcast. So please wish us luck. <laughs> and uh, buckle up, everybody. <laughs> debate coverage, uh, nonetheless, will be coming tomorrow, but uh, plenty coming on today's show, including Desi Doyen and the Green News Report, which Yay. is always worth sticking around for, if nothing else. 
See, Desi, I can say nice things. Exactly. See? I agree, by the way. Yeah, I know you do. Totally You're welcome. worth sticking around. Best yeah. part of the show. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, but, but first up today, uh, we started yesterday with the mass shooting by a guy tied to white supremacy at the uh, Family Charity Garlic Festival in Gilroy, California, where a 19-year-old man who purchased a military-style assault uh, weapon in Nevada was able to use it to kill two children and an adult while wounding about a dozen others at the festival before being killed by police. And today, of course, because you know, this is America, yet another shooting of note, this time at your friendly neighborhood Walmart Superstore. A disgruntled employee killed two Walmart colleagues and wounded a responding police officer on Tuesday in northwest Mississippi. Authorities say the deadly incident started around 6.30 a.m. at the Superstore before another responding officer eventually wounded the shooter, who was then taken into custody. Two employees were, quote, senselessly murdered this morning in our city, said South Haven Police Chief Macon Moore. South Haven is a suburb of Memphis, Tennessee, actually. Uh, which is just about 16 miles away. So this is really closer to Tennessee than uh, Mississippi even here. These people were doing the same thing that you and I do every day, showing up for work in an attempt to provide for their families, then became the victims of a senseless, violent act, said Moore. The shooter, who has not yet been named by authorities, wounded one officer before the other one brought him down. According to Moore, the officer who was shot appears to have been saved by his vest. The suspect was in surgery uh, late on Tuesday morning, according to officials. Hours after the attack, a bomb squad was still on the scene examining a suspicious package. The South Haven mayor, Darren Musselwhite, called the shooter a disgruntled employee with a, quote, personal grievance with his employer. Just two weeks ago, South Haven police and firefighters happened to conduct an active shooter simulation, according to Moore and Musselwhite. The training, uh, they said, uh, the training we did paid off today. Yep, uh, since the Republican Party has been fully captured now by the terrorist-enabling NRA, allowing our citizenry to become militarized, I guess law enforcement has no choice but to do the same, I guess, right? Life during wartime, during peacetime in America. And what will be done to help curb this epidemic in our country? Well, nothing, of course, beyond thoughts and prayers, especially for the gun industry, whose prayers are being answered every day, it seems. At least until we have what Bernie Sanders likes to describe as a political revolution in this nation. One of which, one way or another, I'd suspect is almost certainly coming. Only question is which way it will come and how long it will take to get here. On a yes... Related note, what's in your wallet? More specifically, what's been stolen from your wallet? Got a Capital One credit card? Ever applied for one? Well, then your personal data, including financial data, has been hacked and stolen and posted online. Congratulations. A security breach at Capital One Financial, one of the nation's largest issuers of credit cards, compromised the personal information of about 106 million people. 106 million people. And in some cases, the hacker obtained Social Security and bank account numbers. It is among the largest security breaches of, major, uh, of a major U.S. financial institution on record, according to AP. 
Paige Thompson, who uses the online handle Erratic, was charged with a single count of computer fraud and abuse in U.S. District Court in Seattle. Thompson made an initial appearance in court and was ordered to remain in custody pending a detention hearing on Thursday. Federal agents have uh, began tracking Thompson online after being notified by Capital One of a possible breach in July. On June 18, apparently, Thompson sent a message on Twitter to another user saying, quote, I've basically strapped myself with a bomb vest, expletive, dropping Capital One's docs and admitting it. The FBI raided Thompson's residence on Monday, seized digital devices. An initial uh, search turned up files that referenced Capital One and, quote, other entities that may have been targets uh, targets of attempted or actual network intrusions, unquote. Thompson was a systems engineer at Amazon Web Services between 2015 and 2016, about three years before the breach took place. While that service, the Amazon Web Service, is used by Capital One, there is no evidence so far that Amazon's cloud system itself was involved in the in the uh, in the breach. Amazon Web Services was not compromised in any way and functioned as designed, a company spokesman said Tuesday. The perpetrator gained access through a misconfiguration of the web application and not the underlying cloud-based infrastructure. The bank said that the bulk of the hack data consisted of information supplied by consumers and small businesses who applied for credit cards between 2005 and early 2019. In addition to data like phone numbers, email addresses, dates of birth, self-reported income, the hacker was also able to access credit scores, credit limits, and balances, as well as fragments of transaction information from a total of 23 days in 2016, 2017, and 2018. Capital One the nation's seventh largest commercial bank with some $373 billion in assets as of June is the latest U.S. company to suffer major, uh, a major data breach in recent years. In 2017, as you'll recall, a data breach at Equifax, one of the major credit reporting companies, exposed the Social Security numbers and other sensitive information of roughly half of the U.S. population. Half of the U.S. population. Last week, by the way, Equifax agreed to pay at least $700 million to settle lawsuits over the breach in a settlement with federal authorities and states. The agreement includes up to $425 million in monetary relief to consumers that you may be uh, welcome to. Uh, now, why is this, as I noted, why is this related to the possibility of a political revolution? Well, a political revolution would take place at the ballot box or what used to be ballot boxes, but are now largely computers. Computers protected from breaches like this, largely by nobody more than Mr. or Ms. County Clerk. It did not require a nation-state like, say, Russia, to breach the records of more than 100 million people at one of the world's largest financial institutions, Capital One. It took one single person, one single person, who lives with cats at her apartment in Seattle. For all I know, she may have been a broadcast listener uh, on Seattle's KODX 96.9. And we only learned about all of this after the nation's 
third largest financial institution was finally contacted by a third party who tipped them off to the breach. Otherwise, they and you and we may have never even known about any of this. So with that in mind, feel free to go back to my program yesterday with Marilyn Marks of the Coalition of Good Governance. You can download it for free at bradblog.com regarding her lawsuit to force hand-marked paper ballots for the state of Georgia instead of unverifiable computer ballot marking devices. And listen again to that part of uh, of the broadcast yesterday where she meant a chilling part, frankly, where she mentioned that uh, at, at a hearing on on the case uh, that she has filed in federal court last week. Uh, Georgia's secretary of state's office employee admitted in in open court that just three people, three independent contractors, not state workers, not that it would make a difference, frankly, but just three people working out of a garage do the programming for, quote, 100 percent of Georgia's 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen voting machines across the state. Three people working at home on home Wi-Fi with no idea whether or not it was protected or secured in any way whatsoever. Yep. Programmed the entire state of Georgia's voting system. Right. And did they do it correctly? Did they do it incorrectly? Did they uh, flip votes with that programming, either on purpose or accidentally? Don't know. Nobody will ever know, unless somebody has access to their Wi-Fi, maybe. So uh, if whether they did it, whether somebody else did who knows? But why worry? The new Republican Secretary of State in Georgia, uh, who just replaced the previous Republican Secretary of State, who became governor last November overseeing his own election on 100 percent unverifiable touchscreens. He became governor, Brian Kemp, despite the fact that many had predicted the Democrat Stacey Abrams would, in fact, win. And despite all sorts of computer failures across the state. But don't worry, that new Republican secretary of state will keep all of your voter records and votes themselves safe from both Big Bad Russia and the woman with the cats at her apartment in Seattle, and even from, by the way, Marilyn Marks and her team of experts who have had to go through extraordinary measures just to partially examine parts of the system used to tally Georgia's votes in 100% secrecy for the past 20 years in that state. But I'm sure it's all cool, nothing to worry about. And besides, voting on touchscreen computers that cannot be overseen by the public is way more convenient, isn't it, than securely filling in an oval with a pen on a piece of paper? Yes, the uh, the state is actually arguing, the state of Georgia, that they cannot move to handmark paper ballots for their municipal elections this November because it would be too difficult to train voters how to use these new devices, these so-called pens and so-called pieces of paper. They couldn't possibly train them how to fill in those ovals uh, by November after 20 years of voting on touchscreen computers. And so that's what the state is fighting for, to keep Georgia's systems completely unverifiable. And they are not the only state. I received this uh, email this morning uh, via Bradcast at bradblog.com, where you are welcome to write me anytime. This came from Richard Hayes Phillips, our friend who uh, spent years examining by hand 
as many of the ballots as he could back in Ohio after the 2004 presidential election there where George W. Bush is said to have defeated John Kerry. Remember that? Even though the public was never allowed to actually count the paper ballots used in most of the state. Well, uh, Richard Hayes Phillips's 2007 book documenting that effort is titled Witness to a Crime, a Citizen's Audit of an American Election. That's about the 2004 election. Uh, he writes in response to yesterday's program with Marilyn on the state of Georgia. Uh, stunning work, Brad, as usual. Well, thank you, Richard. <laughs> motive and uh, motive and means always exists for election theft. He writes, you have established that the opportunity existed also conspiracy theories are only credible if very few people would be required to pull it off three persons or even one of the three could have flipped the state of georgia so he is correct and it is one of the things that i've been trying and trying and trying to point out uh since everyone began freaking out about russia and their alleged interference in our elections sure be worried about russia and Iran, and China, and North Korea, and yes, Great Britain, and France, and Spain, and Canada, and take your pick, and yes, some woman living with cats in Seattle. Because that's all it takes. That's all it takes to flip an entire state by flipping an entire county, all of which can flip an entire presidential election. Are we nuts? Yes. Answer yes. Yes, we are nuts. Because, you know, if you haven't noticed, after elections, even after the very closest ones, like Ohio 2004, or those with the most surprise ending in the history of American democracy, like, say, the presidential election of 2016, won by, uh, reportedly won by one candidate who would have lost had just three votes in each precinct in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania been registered to his opponent instead of to him. Even in an election such as that, as you also heard play out on the broadcast two years ago, even in an election like that, state laws will prevent the public from ever learning if the person who is said to have won the election for the president of the United States actually won that election. Because we cannot wait until after the election to complain about the system, about the terrible system, about the unoverseeable system. You know, you, you it, take it from me. You, you must do this. You must try to make it overseeable and transparent right now. Not after... Uh, something has gone terribly wrong because take it from me by then it's almost guaranteed to be way too late too late to do anything about it and by the way you'll be considered a conspiracy theorist you'll be uh, considered uh, sour grapes so the time to worry about our election system the time to take action on our election system the time to make sure our election system is actually overseeable by the public is right now not later not after it's too late. And on a similarly very related note, North Carolina moved toward a new requirement for hand-marked paper ballots on Monday night when a divided but bipartisan state board of elections voted to rework the rules that govern what voting machines are allowed there. 
This is according to WRAL in Raleigh, North Carolina. The board, the election board, will have to gather again in about two weeks to make the change official. And Monday's decision delayed for the third time in two months, a long-awaited decision to certify a new voting uh, to, to certify new voting equipment. Activists, however, hailed the vote as a move toward more secure elections. And I underscore the word toward uh, because since this report from WRAL, I've been talking to people on the ground, people who were at this hearing yesterday. And there has been, well, let's uh, suffice to say ESNS, the nation's largest voting machine company, is using its muscle to change this, to change this resolution that was adopted last night, but will have to be officially adopted in uh, in 15 days. Uh, but let me jump back into the story and I'll get back. I'll, I'll get to uh, the pieces of it that may be falling apart in a second. The uh, time to approve new machines ahead of the 2020 elections grows short, writes WRAL. State law requires small test runs in actual elections before new machines can be fully deployed, meaning equipment would need to be in place for this November's municipal elections this fall in order to be ready for the March 2020 presidential primaries. This in the crucial state of North Carolina, which is very closely divided, having gone with uh, Obama by a narrow margin back in 2008, Mitt Romney by a narrow margin in 2012, and then Trump, Donald Trump in 2016. At the very same time that statewide, they elected a Democrat as governor, at least in theory, at least as far as we know. Because a third of the state uses 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems that they are now looking to replace with new systems and potentially more 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems in North Carolina, the swing state of North Carolina. This following on the swing state of Georgia that we discussed yesterday. The uh, state legislature uh, could change the law, allowing for... Um, simulated election tests instead of real elections. It may also delay the coming decertification of those older 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that roughly a third of North Carolina counties now use. So they could change all of this. This was adopted by uh, statute uh, several years ago. Those systems are supposed to be fa uh, phased out by the end of this year. That's one of the reasons why the pressure is now on to certify potential replacement equipment in time to use it for this, uh, this fall's elections. If Monday's decision sticks, and that seems to be a bigger if now, than it was even this morning, uh, that would seem to disqualify new equipment that is uh, being offered from the state's currently only voting machine provider, ESNS. The company wants to sell its express vote system to the state, which is a 100% uh, unverifiable touchscreen computer ballot marking device. It is at least twice as expensive as an actually verifiable hand-marked paper ballot system. Counties actually get to decide what systems they want to purchase, but they can only purchase from a list of equipment that is certified and approved by the state board. The ESNS Express Vote system meets a state requirement for paper ballots, according to the uh, state board attorneys, because it prints what is supposedly the voter selections from the touchscreen onto a paper ballot summary card. But Activists and civic civic groups who, who crowded that meeting uh, in Raleigh on Monday have pushed back against those sorts of machines 
because they don't let people fill in bubbles by hand. Instead, voters uh, vote via touchscreen, as you know, and the machine spits out a paper ballot that records their votes, in this case, in a barcode, which cannot be verified by any human being as actually reflecting the intent of any voter because why? Humans cannot read barcodes. That barcode is then uh, that barcode ballot is then fed into another computer to scan and tally the vote. Now, there are two other companies also looking for certification in North Carolina, a company named Clear Ballot and a company named Heart Inner Civic. Uh, They use handmarked paper ballots uh, with the systems they uh, brought to North Carolina as does an older ESNS system that is already in use in Wake County. That's the home to the state capital in Raleigh. It's the second most populous county in the state. They're able to use hand-marked uh, paper ballots uh, without problem. State board members uh, who voted to change the certification rules on Monday said they were responding to a public outcry. Well, thank you, public in North Carolina, for crying out. They say it intensified as the evidence of Russian efforts to tamper in U.S. elections became indisputable. ESNS officials insist their new machines are safe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if they insist... Then uh, it must be true. Yeah. By the way, so did Capital One. They insisted their systems were safe, too, when they told us to use their secure systems to apply online for credit cards, did so they? did Equifax. But the push for hand-marked paper ballots was apparently enough to convince three board members uh, needed on the uh, five-person board. So it's three people get you a majority. Uh, The the call for the hand-marked paper ballots was enough to, uh, to win the day at least yesterday. Stella Anderson, an Appalachian State University professor and a Democrat on the state board, Uh, She made the key motion on Monday night. She said voter trust and confidence in the security and integrity of any voting system we put in use in North Carolina is absolutely vital. But no, I'm going to disagree with uh, uh, Ms. Anderson here. It's not trust. It is oversight that is vital. Public oversight. Trust has nothing to do with American elections, or at least it shouldn't. We need a voting system that can be administered by the very worst, the very most dishonest and corrupt election officials and still result in an election in which the public can have confidence that the results are accurate because they have been able to oversee it. Jeff Carmen, an attorney and another Democrat on the board, seconded her motion. Here's some of his comments when he did. I have heard from all of you that sent your emails, made your phone calls, and all day I have toyed with one phrase, and that's we the people. And as I processed that and read through your emails, I realized that there's a group of you that can change our country. With that in mind, I want to do all that we can to restore the faith in our voting system and get to a point where we can say we the people with confidence. I'd like to respond to my uh, fellow member to let him know that this wasn't taken lightly. Uh, Our state's been in the media enough. And after the Mueller report and the latest report on all that's happening with voting systems, I think we all have a duty to make sure that we've dotted every I and crossed every possible T possible. Uh, and I feel I can rest well with my vote. 
He rests well with his vote after crossing every possible T possible. <laughs> that was uh, Jeff Carmen, uh, a, a Democrat and an attorney uh, on the uh, North Carolina State Board of Elections. Now, there were activists, as I mentioned, who packed this public hearing. Um, they applauded after this vote on Monday. Someone shouted, thank you, after the meeting. Uh, however, it was treated as a temporary victory for several reasons. One, the vote doesn't actually change the state certification rules. Instead, it sets up another meeting uh, to do so after a required 15-day public notice period runs out. Um, there are also some problems with the language of this uh, resolution, which, in fact, uh, does not uh, uh, bar ballot computer ballot marking devices. It only bars computer ballot marking devices, as I read it, that use a uh, that use a barcode to tabulate the ballot. If the BMD actually prints out a human readable version of the person's vote, that would still be allowable under um, under this resolution. Now, that said, there is only one such BMD system that has been uh, submitted to North Carolina, and that's the one by ESNS that uses a barcode, which would be barred, if you will, from this uh, from this particular if this resolution passes. So effectively, this would at least for now keep BMD systems from coming into North Carolina at a time when there is a deadline by the end of the year to get rid of the current touchscreens, the old touchscreen systems made by ESNS. Um, so they would have to, by default, it seems, go to hand-marked paper ballots. That said, all of this now is up in the air. I have received uh, some news from uh, some of the folks involved in this fight that the State Board of Elections has now scheduled a meeting for this Thursday to consider rescinding this resolution. Apparently, one of the Republicans who voted in favor of the resolution seems to have had uh, a change of heart, says, oh, I, I think I mis uh, misunderstood the original uh, resolution. Folks are speculating that he has been uh, strong-armed by the lobbyists at ESNS, who are, in fact, thugs. For years, they have uh, behaved thuggishly all across the country. They put a lot of money into lobbying. They put a lot of money into whining and dining these election officials. Uh, so we don't know. We don't now know what is going to happen on Thursday, if this entire thing is going to be clawed back, or even if it does move forward if it will result in hand-marked paper ballots for the state of North Carolina. But there was a big turnout uh, over the past couple of days by folks on the ground, citizens taking this into their own hands. I spoke with John Brakey, one of those citizens. He was at the uh, hearing in North Carolina yesterday. He has spent years fighting to protect Arizona's voting systems, uh, Arizona's voting systems. Now he's uh, traveling around the country working with Local uh, folks on the ground in states like North Carolina and Florida trying to improve the system. Uh, and uh, he emphasized during his remarks that I don't have time to play here for now, unfortunately, but he emphasized in his remarks how important this is to take action before an election has failed, not after when it is too late to do anything about it. So 
We'll keep our eyes on North Carolina. We'll keep our eyes on Georgia. We'll keep our eyes on a bunch of the other uh, states and counties where they are making a similar move, including here in Los Angeles. And I would just add that, remember, citizens on the ground made this happen. They made this change happen. This was going to go forward, and they would have had nothing to do about it, nothing to say about it, and the elections would have gone forward with these ballot-marking devices that are awful. Had it not been for the people on the ground making the noise. There was one... uh, one They haven't lost that battle yet. One of the Republicans uh, who voted against this, apparently there was uh, two who voted against this on Monday. One was the uh, board chairman, Robert Cordell. He's a Democrat and a member, Ken Raymond, a Republican who voted against it. Both said it was uh, there was too much of a time crunch. They were concerned that the vendors had been working so hard for so many years to get this uh, these contracts through, and it would just be not fair to them. Well, that's exactly, yeah. Raymond said, uh, he said, we have counties that are looking at decertification of equipment. We have vendors who have been in this process for several years and have run a virtual gauntlet of requirements. For us to delay it even further, that's not the right thing to do. So, yeah. Those poor private vendors who have worked so hard to take millions of taxpayer dollars for their unnecessary computer voting systems that tally votes in secret, it's just not the right thing to do to that poor company, which happens to be the largest voting vendor with its corrupt tentacles and and its history of failed elections in almost all 50 states. It wouldn't be fair to do to them. The hell with the voters. So, yes, this is going on everywhere. And this is, uh, you know, up to you. This is don't wait for someone else to show up and do this. You understand what's going on here because people like you have listened to the broadcast and you understand what's going on. But don't wait until after it's after the election, after it's too late. Doing taking action now beforehand makes all the difference. So that includes people like you. Don't wait for a savior. We give you the information here on this program to understand what's going on, but you have to take it and take action on it. All right, we got to get to a break. Uh, And in other uh, election-related news, Republicans in Michigan are hoping to undermine democracy, yes, and the will of the people itself again, and they're getting some help from someone who knows how to do exactly that. Knows it as well as anybody in the nation how to undermine the will of the electorate. That story is next on the Bradcast. And yes, Green News Report coming up later, too. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. 
That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Michigan music there. <laughs> a little Detroit rock city. Indeed. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. And uh, Democrats will be uh, debating in Detroit rock city over the next couple of days. We'll be following that on the next couple of shows. But uh, in the meantime, a Michigan story about Michigan elections. Now, before I get there, my coverage of elections and democracy is by the way, nonpartisan. That, however, does not mean, as it seems to at so many corporate media outlets, that I don't call out the bad guys by name and by party when their party is the one undermining elections and free and fair democracy in this country. Sadly, in recent years, that has mostly been the Republican Party working very hard to undermine the electorate. You will recall that last November, in a landmark landslide bipartisan vote of the people of Florida, voters there adopted a constitutional amendment to, at long last, end the Sunshine State's post-slavery era law that barred former felons from voting for life. The measure was adopted statewide by some 65 percent of Florida voters last November, and it was supported by groups from the left, the right, the middle, ACLU, League of Women Voters, even the Koch brothers. It would restore the right to vote to some one and a half million former felons in the state, including one of five African-American men in Florida who have been previously barred from the right to vote because of this law. And yet, Florida's Republican legislature and Republican governor, Ron DeSantis, who won his election last November reportedly by less than one half of one percent, they went to work to pass a new law after Florida had adopted uh, Amendment 4 that would gut the amendment by adding new requirements to prevent former felons from being able to register and vote, namely a new requirement that all court fines and fees had to be paid off before any of these former felons could vote, which, as critics who are suing the state describe that requirement, it's an unconstitutional poll tax. In other words, if you have the money, you can vote. If you don't, you can't under Florida's new statute passed by the Republicans. Uh, that is just the latest way that Republican officials in Florida are undermining the very clear will of the people that we saw at the ballot box last November. More of whom, by the way, voted for Amendment 4 than for any politician on the ballot, including Governor DeSantis on that uh, ballot last November. And now in Michigan, where another landmark state ballot initiative was adopted by voters in a landslide last year, Republicans are once again trying to undermine the will of the voters. As our friend uh, and constitutional law expert Ian Milheiser writes today at Think Progress, the state of Michigan does not hold free and fair legislative elections. In 2018, the Democratic State House and Senate candidates received tens of thousands of more votes than their Republican counterparts. Yet, Republicans in, in uh, Michigan have solid majorities in both houses. Even though Democrats got more votes. 
Meanwhile, the state's congressional districts are so aggressively gerrymandered that in 2012, when President Obama won the state by over nine points, Republicans still captured nine of Michigan's 14 U.S. House votes. Republicans got nine. Democrats got five, even though the Democrat won the state by over nine points. All of this, he writes, is supposed to change, however, and soon. In 2018, voters approved a state constitutional amendment providing that future legislative maps will be drawn by an independent commission. The members of this commission are chosen largely at random from a pool of applicants in order to minimize either party's ability to capture the commission. People who recently served as partisan officials or party leaders or lobbyists or other forms of political insiders may not sign up to serve on this commission under the measure that was adopted by state voters last November. That is, he writes, of course, unless the Republican Party gets its way in a lawsuit filed on Tuesday, filed in hopes of gutting the entire constitutional amendment. Now, this is a lawsuit in Michigan, but guess who's heading it up? According to Reed Wilson at The Hill today, a national group helmed by former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker on Tuesday filed a federal lawsuit aimed at blocking a redistricting commission that Michigan voters approved by a wide margin last year. The lawsuit filed in federal court in Grand Rapids seeks to knock down Proposition 2, which had shifted responsibility for redrawing district boundaries from the state legislature to a citizen commission after the next uh, decennial census in 2020. Voters approved the proposition to amend the state constitution with 61 percent of the vote last November. That was a margin of almost one million votes. So, of course... Scott Walker, who is out of a job after losing uh, to Democratic to now Democratic Governor Tony Evers last November in Wisconsin in a statewide election. He now wants to undermine Michigan's voters uh, in the same way that he had worked so hard to undermine Wisconsin voters during his terms of office before he was run out of town. As Ari Berman of Mother Jones notes today, Scott Walker, who signed one of the country's most egregious gerrymanders in Wisconsin, where GOP voters got 46 percent of the votes, but 64 percent of the seats in 2018, thanks to Scott Walker's gerrymandering. He's now su uh, suing to overturn the Independent Redistricting Commission in Michigan, approved by 61% of the voters. And remember, Scott Walker was a big friend of the Koch brothers, the billionaire Koch brothers, who have been keeping a really low profile these days, but obviously I think they are still trying to infiltrate and corrupt our elections pretty much everywhere. Yeah, but remember, they supported, actually, the measure down in Florida. Amendment uh, Amendment Four. Yeah. So so they supported that, but they're still trying oh, yeah. to infiltrate throughout everywhere else because it benefits them that one time in Florida. <laughs> well, that's right. Uh, in addition to shifting responsibility for drawing the district lines to the commission, the proposition bars anyone who ran for office, etc., uh, worked on political campaigns as a lobbyist within the last six years, as well as parents, spouses, and children of those who worked in politics. 
So the suit was filed on behalf of 15 Michigan residents who would be excluded by those rules. I guess they are family members uh, of people who worked in politics or they're people who worked in politics themselves. And they include several prominent Republican officials. It alleges the exclusionary rules violate First Amendment rights of free speech and the 14th Amendment rights to equal protection. Walker said in a statement released by his group called the National Republican Redistricting Trust, uh, he said, every American has the right to peaceably align themselves with a political party or not, speak into the political process, and petition their government. But that is not what Scott Walker felt, apparently, when Wisconsin voters when when their First Amendment free speech rights to associate with a political party were taken away by his partisan gerrymandered maps that punished certain voters for how they voted, disallowing them equal protection of political representation in the state legislature and in the U.S. House in Wisconsin. Walker apparently, without giving a damn about the irony, said, uh, quote, any reform, no matter how poorly conceived, must achieve its goals without infringing on the basic rights guaranteed to all of us by the Constitution. Michigan's new redistricting commission fails, uh, falls short of that standard by punishing the people of Michigan for exercising those rights. Well, he would know. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel, who's a Democrat, won office in 2018, she said on Twitter that her office would vigorously defend Proposition 2 and Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, a Democrat who was named as the defendant in the suit. Now, please note, while while Michigan, like Wisconsin, is so gerrymandered that Republicans control the state legislatures, despite that, in statewide votes where everyone gets to vote uh, last November, Democrats in Michigan and Wisconsin won all of the statewide races for governor, for attorney general, for secretary of state in Michigan, because that reflects the actual will of the voters that Scott Walker is now hoping to undermine with this lawsuit. Jamie Lyons Eddy, who directs campaigns and programs for voters, not politicians, that's the group who was behind Prop 2 in Michigan, said her legal team was confident the lawsuit would fail. We'll see. She said it's no surprise that politicians who directly benefit from drawing their own election maps and choosing their own voters want to undermine the voice of voters again. Now that citizens are in charge of a fair, impartial and transparent redistricting process, we know that some politicians who will lose power to draw maps in secret for their own benefit will make a last ditch effort to hold on to it. Now, I'm not quite as confident as uh, Lyons Eddie is uh, that this will actually fail. Neither is Milheiser over at Think Progress, at least not with the Republican stolen Supreme Court doing the bidding of Republicans. District boundaries in Michigan have a uh, have been a point of litigious contention since Republicans drew the current lines back in 2011 after the last census after they won control of the state legislature and the governor's mansion in 2010. Please keep that in mind in 2020. No matter who is running for president, no matter how much you like him or her, your vote in 2020 will determine the way the maps are drawn in uh, all 50 states over the next 10 years. Through 2030. 
A three-judge panel ruled against the lines that were drawn by Republicans uh, in 2011. Uh, that just happened, however, this year, and that case was then killed by the Supreme Court when a five to four stole, stolen uh, majority on Republican majority in the court determined in June that federal courts may have no jurisdiction over state drawn legislative and U.S. House maps, which allows extreme partisan gerrymandering like we have seen in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in North Carolina. It allows that to continue now in all 50 states, including in states like Michigan and Wisconsin, where the lower federal and, and North Carolina, where the lower federal courts all found the, uh, these maps to be an unconstitutional violation of free speech and equal protection under the law. In that case last month, I guess, it, well, in June, Chief Justice John Roberts actually cited Michigan's vote last November to establish this citizen-led commission as an alternative way for action to be taken on partisan ger gerrymanders rather than going to the federal courts. That, even though most many states do not allow citizen ballot initiatives at all. But in Michigan, they were able to pass one, get one onto the ballot, which is not easy, and get it passed, and now it's being challenged and undermined. Some legal analysts uh, cast doubt on the plausibility of the argument being made by Scott Walker, including Rick Hassan of uh, UC uh, Irvine. He said it seems like a really weak argument unless the bet is that the conservative majority on the Supreme Court is going to expand the First Amendment in new directions. Well, bingo. Why wouldn't they? Milheiser also notes uh, that Roberts' uh, opinion in June that took the federal courts out of the business of overturning gerrymandered maps, uh, he said in, uh, in Roberts' opinion, he wrote, In November 2018, voters in Colorado and Michigan approved constitutional amendments creating multi-member commissions that will be responsible in whole or in part for creating and approving district maps for congressional and legislative districts. But uh, Ian says it would be a pretty severe catch-22 for now Republicans on the Supreme Court to cite the Michigan Amendment as a reason why courts don't need to solve the problem of gerrymandering and then turn around and strike that amendment on a novel legal theory. But uh, maybe Ian is not giving enough credit to the corruption and loathing of actual democracy among Republicans including maybe even particularly those on our stolen U.S. Supreme Court. The fight continues. Quick break, and we're back with the Green News Report and Desi Doyen. Right after this, I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks.
Lopez, you doing? You made an interesting point during the break there. Would oh, you like yeah. to repeat it on the yes. public airwaves? <laughs> yes, I would. This is regarding how crucial your vote in 2020 is. I mean, especially at the state level, your vote in 2020 will determine the districts that are written through 2030. And by the way, 2020 to 2030 is the most crucial window for climate action. If you care about climate change and what happens to your children and your grandchildren, then you need to vote in 2020. And with that excellent segue, nicely done, it's our latest Green News Report. This is a major victory uh, for California relative to its ongoing feuds with the Trump administration. California wins, Trump loses as U.S. automakers make deal on fuel-efficient cars. Two networks to host climate change forums for 2020 presidential candidates... Study finds just talking about climate change makes a difference. Plus, it is happening. I will tell you as someone who challenged climate change 19 years ago. Republican pollster Frank Luntz has a change of heart on the climate crisis. All of those changes of heart, too late or otherwise, straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. So the Mueller's hearing... Mm -hmm came to an end. And after it was over, Trump exploded on Twitter, truth is a force of nature. <laughs> yes. So is global warming, and you denied them both. Oh. <laughs> this is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, we had some good news from the U.S. automakers late last week, but now Donald Trump says he's going to do what he's going to do anyway. Exactly. The Trump administration is still plowing ahead with its massive regulatory rollback to freeze auto mileage and emission standards in place and not improve them under Obama-era standards. That despite four major automakers striking a secret deal with California to make more fuel-efficient cars. Ford, Honda, Volkswagen, and BMW are circumventing the Trump administration's efforts to weaken mileage and emission standards. The deal with California means the four automakers, who represent about a third of the U.S. car market, will produce fleets that average nearly 51 miles per gallon by 2026. In an interview with NBC Sacramento, California air quality regulator Mary Nichols said that the car makers are keeping up with global industry trends. These companies are already looking towards putting in more efficient vehicles. They're all working on more electric models. Now, despite the rest of the world car market moving away from gas-powered cars to electric vehicles, the Trump administration says that it still plans to roll back those improvements in mileage and emission standards. The administration also still intends to try to revoke California's long-standing authority to set its own mileage and pollution rules under the Clean Air Act. So the automakers are happy with the higher fuel efficiency standards. California and, frankly, Americans are happy to have more fuel-efficient cars. Only the Trump administration is against it. Who the hell is he working for? Oh, he's working on behalf of the oil industry, which oh. requested the big rollback because they lose money whenever consumers buy less gas. 
Meanwhile, speaking about climate change makes a real difference, literally. A new study by Yale University has found that simply talking about climate change helps lead people to greater acceptance of climate science, that just discussing the issue with your friends and family leads them to learn more facts about the climate crisis, which in turn leads to greater understanding and concern about the issue. Well, then your friends and family must really be concerned about climate change, Des. Either that or they're sick of it. Well, yeah, and I've met some of the folks in your family. (laughs) With that in mind, it's kind of a big deal that Frank Luntz, the Republican pollster whose advice helped Republicans turn climate change into a partisan battlefield and helped them effectively mislead the public to delay climate action for years, has had a change of heart after he was forced to evacuate from his Los Angeles home in a wildfire in 2017. Funny how having your life threatened suddenly makes you realize you were wrong about climate change. Yes. In a hearing of the Senate Special Committee on the Climate Crisis, hosted last week by Hawaii's Democratic Senator Brian Schatz, Luntz offered to help Democrats communicate about climate change consequences in a nonpartisan way to attract Republicans. It is happening. I will tell you, as someone who challenged climate change 19 years ago, which is when the media uses the language against me. That work was done in 2000, 2001, and 2002. That was a lifetime ago. I've changed, and I will help you with messaging if you wish to have it. Yeah, well, that's all well and good that it was 19 years ago, but it was about 30 or 40 or 50 years ago that scientists were warning about the thing that you now finally admit is real now that it almost burned down your house. And finally, some good news. In the absence of the Democratic National Committee hosting a climate change-focused debate with 2020 Democratic presidential candidates, CNN and MSNBC have stepped in, announcing they will host town hall forums with the candidates focused on climate change. CNN will go on September 4th and MSNBC on September 20th and 21st to coincide with Climate Week in New York City and the U.N. General Assembly. Well, that is good news, sort of. It would certainly get a lot more attention if it was done as an actual debate rather than one of these town hall forums that very few people tune in to watch. True. But we'll take what we can get. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Oh, the times they are Change it one way or another. Oh, yeah. For good or for bad, that remains to be seen. Indeed. Speaking of uh, debates, we will have our debate coverage uh, tomorrow after the Democratic debate. And uh, I think that's it. So we got to get out. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. Thank you, Desi. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, you can reach her, by the way, and complain to her at Green News Report on the Twitters and the Facebooks. And you can complain to me at The Brad Blog on the Twitters and the Facebooks. You can also drop me email. I am Bradcast at Bradblog. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. And as ever, my great thanks to those of you who make all of this possible by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. We cannot do it without you, so thank you. That is it. Until we meet again tomorrow with our special coverage, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.